Well, good morning. And so we're glad you guys are joining with us this morning. And so we're sad that we're not all here in this building together. Uh, but we're thankful for the opportunity we have to be able to meet anyway, like this through the internet. And, uh, and so we thank you, uh, Shiach, for being here. And so if you have your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12. And so uh, grab your iPad or your Bible or your phone or whatever it is you're not streaming this on. And turn there with us. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you about something we used to do. So back when I was younger, we used to have these things called parties or get-togethers when you could hang out with friends and stuff. And one of my favorite things to do was when I had just moved down to Angleton, which is about five hours away, uh, six if you have kids. Um, when you're we're moving down there, we're moving away from, from our... our um, are just a city we know and from our friends. And, and, and so one of my favorite things to do is when we would come up here and visit people, uh, we would go over with a group of friends over to uh, the Wester's house, and we would just hang out. And, and, and those times for me were, were filled with like just fun and, and joy. And, and, and so the reason I tell you that is because here we're going to look at the Lord's Supper uh, this morning. I want you to see a line that's being traced here in which Jesus is transforming a festival about the Passover, something God has done in the past. And I want you to see a line that's pointing towards this future ultimate party in heaven that we're going to look forward to, that we're looking forward to one day by taking the Lord's Supper. Uh, that's going to be filled with joy, filled with fun. And so I want you to see that this morning. Uh, that heaven is not something that's going to be in eternal church service, uh, but something that's going to be filled with joy uh, for us that, uh, that are going to rival or, or be better than our greatest joyous parties that we here, have here on earth. And so if you have your Bible, open to Mark chapter 14, and I'll read for us, because that's where we're at, we're, as we're continuing through Mark. And so, uh, so Mark chapter 14... Starting, ooh, I've turned too many pages. Okay. Starting in verse 12, and it says this. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? And so he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations there for, uh, uh, for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as, he had, uh, just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Let's pray as we dig into God's word this morning. And so, Father, come before you, and we thank you so much for your word. God, we pray You'd open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you want to say to us, to where we can uh, take this time to, to look at the Lord's Supper and how it calls us to look back at what you've done and also look forward to what we're going to get to do with you in the future. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for giving us a future and a hope. And so I pray that you'd make that real for us this morning. And so we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And while I'm taking this pause, I'm going to take my vest off. Okay. So my nerves always turn out, and uh, I get the chills, but then when I get on stage, then I burn up. And so it's just weekly, that's what happens to me. So 
So now we're looking at the Lord's Supper here. Now what's happening here is Jesus is looking at the past, okay? So he is a Jew, and he's among a bunch of Jews, and they are in the central point of Jewish life. And, and they're, so they're in Jerusalem. And so, so they're, they're going down there, and this is the last day of Jesus' life, the last night. And, and it is the beginning of a seven-day feast, which is the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that consists of two parts. And so, so it's seven days, and on the first day is the Passover. Now what that is, is that looks back at the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 12, or in all those, uh, actually before Exodus chapter 12, but, but you see the last plague in Exodus when he's gonna, God is going to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so the last plague is going to be the death of the firstborn son. But God told his people that if you, if you kill a lamb and you spread its blood on your doorposts, the spirit that's coming by is going to pass over your house. And no one in your family is going to die because you had the blood covering you. And so the, the first part of the Passover festival is God's people looking back at that time. And so what they did is they gathered together and they sacrificed a lamb because his blood meant protection from death. And so now they're going to have this feast together where the lamb is the centerpiece of their feast to look back at God delivering them from death and from slavery. Now the second part of the feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's the, that's the full seven days. And so what they would do is this was, a, this was an opportunity to look back at their past. So after the Passover happened, after their sons and daughters were not killed because of the blood of the lamb, they had to escape Egypt quickly. And so they were told to make bread, but they didn't have enough time to let the bread rise before they cooked it because they, they had to get out of town fast. And so they went ahead and just cooked it before it, uh, before it rose. And so they got this really thin matzah bread is what they got. And, uh, and so they had to, to take that and run. And so the rest of this feast was them having this feast together, eating this unleavened bread. They had to get all of the leaven out of, the, out of Jerusalem. And it was an opportunity to look back at how God delivered them from slavery. And so the first part was the Passover of the blood of the lamb saved them or delivered them from death. But then through the unleavened bread, they look back and they say how God delivered them from slavery. And so the entire festival was a joyous occasion. It was like their Thanksgiving. But it was an opportunity to turn and just give thanks to God for what he's done for them for their people. That's what it was. And so they're there in Jerusalem getting ready for this major feast, this major Thanksgiving feast they're going to have, which is one of the biggest times of the year for these guys. And so they go into town and, 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 and the, the disciples ask Jesus, where do you want us to go set up the Passover? Because remember, Jesus is homeless and there's not Airbnb. And so you got to rely on other people's hospitality. And so he goes into town and he says, go, and I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a dude who's walking up, he's got water on his, water. And, uh, and he's carrying it, and just walk up to him and say, hey, the teacher says, where's your house so we can, we can celebrate Thanksgiving at it? And he's going to say, I have a room ready. And so, so as we talked about in December, when we were talking about the place that Mary had her baby, which was downstairs in the house, well, upstairs in that house, there were two rooms usually. Two rooms there, but you can see what my hands are doing. 
there are two rooms. And so one, one side is for the family, but the second one is reserved for guests. That was like the guest room. Hospitality was really, really important for, uh, for the Jews. And so, so they had a, he, this dude had a, had a room ready. Maybe the Spirit told him to get it ready. Maybe he was getting it ready for someone else, and then Jesus came and co-opted it. I don't know. But Jesus came and said, hey, tell this guy that I'm looking for a place, and he'll show you exactly where to go. And, uh, and so they do that. So the disciples went out, verse 16, entered the city, and found it just as he told them. And so they went up to the house and started to prepare the Passover. And so this feast, uh, John Mark Gates, who was a pastor a couple of pastors ago here, he did a, he did a feast for our church. Uh, he did this, this supper with us. It was super cool when he did it. Because he, he led us through the entire Jewish Passover meal. And there are so many elements of bitter herbs, and you're trying to remember the escaping or the slavery in Egypt, and, and as you're moving forward, and there's so many different elements that they're getting ready to take. It's not just to get together and eat some bread. Um, it was an hours-long supper. And so they're getting ready for this thing, and then Jesus is going to come in. Now, I want you to see something as we transition into verse 22, because we're going to skip the betrayal, uh, verse 17 to, uh, to 21. We're going to see that later, uh, but today it's all about the Lord's Supper itself. And so, uh, so before we skip to, to verse 22, I want you to see something or have something in mind of what's going to happen, because Jesus is going to transform this Thanksgiving feast for these guys into something of a wider picture. And so, and so when I, I, I've said this before to you guys, uh, you guys know that I've got a lot of kids, a lot of sons, and so, uh, but when we were going to, when we were finding out we were going to have our, our triplets, um, our first ultrasound was really narrow, and we just saw one baby. But then five, five days later, whenever we, we got a wider ultrasound, all of a sudden, the first thing on the screen, you saw three distinct kids. And so what Jesus is going to say here is he's going to say, you guys are narrowed and focused on the Passover and on this thing that God did a couple thousand years ago. He's like, but what I want you to do is I want you to take a step back. I want you to see a wider view of something that's going to happen here. Because right now you're looking at the past, but I want you to look at the present and see what's happening right in front of your eyes. And so look at verse 22. And it says this, as they were eating, He took the bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And this was part of the ceremony, but then listen to what he says at this point. He says this, take this, take it and eat. This is my body. This is a weird thing to say. And so like this, like imagine you, you are, you're at your Thanksgiving meal. You're at your, your grandma's house or your, everyone's at your house or whatever it is and pretend that coronavirus isn't a thing and you actually can do it. And you're all together at this meal and you stand up and you're like, listen, everyone, this Thanksgiving meal and all Thanksgiving meals before this have pointed to me because I was kind to someone the other day at Whataburger. I let them. Let them get in front of me in line while we're waiting. You can think that that would be a weird thing to say. Like most people would not listen to that and think, you know what, he's probably right. He's probably right. In fact, we're now going to thank him 
for him being so kind at Whataburger. And every year from now on, we're going to look back at Thanksgiving and remember the time that he was kind at Whataburger. Like, no, no, that's a weird thing to say. For, so for someone to step out and say, listen, this festival, this thing that we've been having for thousands of years are really about me. That is a weird thing to say. But what Jesus is getting at is he's trying to transform the Passover. He's trying to get us a wider view to say this is no longer solely about what God did in Egypt. But it gains a much fuller picture or fuller meaning through what Jesus was about to do in the present right in front of them. And so so he says, take this bread and eat, it's my body. And then he says this in verse 23, then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And then he gives it a significance. And he says this in verse 24. He said this to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now, there are four elements in that that, that pertain to, that have different addresses in the Old Testament that Jesus is getting at. But the main one that I want you to look at right here is this is his blood that is poured out. Because what Jesus is saying, one aspect of what Jesus is saying is that he is our Passover lamb. So just as the lamb's blood covered the doorposts and allowed God's people to be passed over and set free from death that was coming for them that night, Jesus is saying, listen, pay attention. I'm gonna, I want you to see in this meal what God is doing now in front of your eyes because I am becoming the Passover lamb for you. And I want you to see that because what happens the very next day, like this night, he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be taken to to a sham trial. And so this is like the very next day he dies. And so he's saying, I am becoming the Passover lamb for you. And then he dies the next day. And so as the Passover lamb sacrifice resulted in turning God's wrath away through the forgiveness of sins, so too does Jesus' sacrifice result in your forgiveness by God, in my forgiveness by God. Once and for all, it was his blood poured out, and he became our sacrifice. So then he took their festival and gave it a fuller meaning. And so the bread no longer simply like uh, corresponds to a quick deliverance from Egypt. The bread, but now, represents Jesus' body that was broken for us when he became our sacrifice. That set us free from death and sin and the devil. But his blood, his blood is given fuller significance. Or the cup is given fuller significance. It represents his sacrifice that bought us forgiveness from God. So your sins are forgiven. God turned his wrath away from us. And he poured it out on his son, and he brought forgiveness and grace with it. And that's what he does. And so now, because Jesus is your Passover sacrifice, you are delivered from death. But not just, like, you're not just shown mercy, but God comes and he shows affection towards you and brings kindness and forgiveness to you and wants a relationship with you. That is what his sacrifice is doing. But there's a third element that I want you to see here. There's a third thing, because because we're tracing a line of this Passover sacrifice 
to this future event that's going to happen one day. I want you to see this because the gospel, Jesus dying for you and you becoming a believer through, through your faith in him and in living a life worthy of that, that is not primarily about today. The gospel is not about now, primarily. The gospel is about your future. It's about where you're going. And so Jesus is about to head to his death starting that night. Like, like a couple hours after this, he's going to be praying in a garden. He's going to be betrayed. People are, soldiers are going to come take him away. He's going to start to be beaten. And so this is happening that night. But at this point, he is starting with the end in mind. He's, he's going to the cross for a future purpose. Your salvation is about where you're going more so than where you're at now. I want you to see that. And that's why James could write, like in James chapter 1, James said this, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various, various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If your salvation is about today, then you can't read that verse and say, yeah, that's good. Because he just said, when you face various trials, when you face hard times in your life, consider it a joy because it's God working in your heart to bring about endurance to get you to follow him to a greater degree. If your, God, if the salva, if your salvation is about today and getting good things today, then that's a, that's a cruddy deal. But James can say that because your salvation is about where you're going to be in the future, about where you're heading. And that's why we can find joy now, even in the midst of coronavirus or in the midst of brokenness or in the midst of sinfulness or sadness or broken families or whatever it is. We can find joy now because we know that this life is not all there is. You have a future awaiting you. And this is, like, this is what Paul says. He says your salvation is not yet fully realized. He's like, you haven't experienced your full salvation yet. This is what he says in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, he says this. My goal is to know him, that's Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. He says, my goal is to become like Jesus, even in his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. He is saying he's not yet fully experienced his salvation. He hasn't fully experienced the, in all of its fullness. It's awaiting him. It's something that's coming for him. He says this in verse 12. He's like, not that I've already reached the goal, nor am I perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. You know what he just said there? Is even though you haven't experienced your full salvation yet, that doesn't mean that it's something you have to still earn. You have to attain in some measure. You don't have to earn your salvation. He just said he can, he's running after Christ because Christ has got a hold of him. We just haven't, here's the thing, we just haven't experienced all that salvation offers in all of its fullness yet. Because we're still in this broken world. And this is what he says, in Ephes Paul says again in Ephesians 1. Let me get there real quick. 
In Ephesians 1, Paul says this in verse 13. In Him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. Listen to this, verse, verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. You were given the Spirit to come and live in you as a down payment of your future salvation. What do you do with a down payment? You put it down on something saying, I'm going to have this in the future. When I bought my house, you had to go put a down payment down. You had to put earnest money down saying, hey, listen, I want to put money on this contract as we await this contract to come through. And so if I, if I want this house, I've got to put money down on it. Well, God put money down on you saying you are his and he put a contract on you. And he put earnest money down. He gave you the spirit to be the down payment of the salvation that's awaiting you. And so I say all of that to tell you this. Look at verse 25 back in Mark 14. Verse 25 says this. Truly I tell you, Jesus is saying this. I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What he just said was that he is heading to his death in the present. He is being transformed. He is the Passover lamb who's come to set us free from death. But he's heading to his death, looking forward to this future event when he's going to party with us in heaven. He said, I'm not going to drink anything here anymore because I'm heading to die. But one day, we're going to have a great Lord's Supper in heaven. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And so here's, here's, the, here's, this, what, here's the question for us. It says, what does the Lord's Supper say about our future? Like, and what does it look like where we're going? And here's the, here's the question. Is, is will it be any fun? That's what I want to know. Because like, like, a lot of us have this, this mindset of what, what the new heavens and the new earth are going to look like. And we, we can envision it being an eternal church service in which you've got a guy up there who's, who's speaking boringly, and you've got songs that maybe you like, maybe you don't like, but it's going to extend forever to where you're supposed to sit there and enjoy it, but you're just sitting in the pew and you've got your parent like nudging you, telling you to be quiet. Like That's kind of what we envision heaven being like. But Jesus is telling us, uh, giving us a different picture here. He said, listen, I'm no longer going to drink this until one day when I drink it new, when God's kingdom is fully realized and you have fully attained your salvation and you are experiencing God in all of his fullness. And so look at this. Look what he says in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. This is what the Lord's Supper is pointing us to. When we take the Lord's Supper, he, we are saying we're looking back at what Jesus did for us on the cross. But it's also the Lord's Supper is a celebration of what is going to happen, what's awaiting us in heaven. So in Revelation chapter 19, this, this vision is being given to John by Jesus. And it says this in verse 6. And it says this in verse 6. Then I heard, this is John speaking, something like the voice of a vast multitude 
like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. And it's all of God's people and all of God's creation praising him, saying this, hallelujah, because the Lord, our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Your salvation, our collective salvation, our relationship with Jesus is pictured as a marriage between us and Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's like we are in this betrothal or this engagement period, and we're awaiting this, this event to happen. And all of a sudden, John is looking in the future, and he sees it, this, this marriage actually happening, this, this marriage feast, the ultimate marriage celebration is taking place with God's people praising him. It says, because the marriage, let us be glad, rejoice and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has prepared herself, and she was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. That day is what the Lord's Supper is looking forward to, in which you and I will celebrate with God at this marriage feast that we are taking part in, in which we will experience God in all of his fullness. We'll be together with Jesus personally, and we'll get to sit there and party with him. That is what we're looking forward to. And so here's the question is, is, will heaven for all of eternity be boring? So John Mark McMillan came out, he's got a song, a new album out, in which he's got a song called God is Young, and, and it's based off of a G.K. Chesterton quote from a book called Orthodoxy. And, and, he, and so the, the line in the John Mark McMillan song is, God is young and maybe we're the ones who grow old. And G.K. Chesterton this is, the, this is the actual quote. Here's what he says. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. And you know this. If you've got a kid, they want to play Barbies and do the same thing over and over and over and over. Or if you've got a boy, he wants to have his thing attack your thing over and over and over and over. And like kids don't give up. They have this vitality. They want things unchanged and to extend forever. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be an automatic necessity that, that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite for infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we. That is a fascinating idea to me. And, and it corresponds. So there's, a, there's a two, two things in recent pop culture for me. One is a podcast called Hidden Brain. It's a psychology podcast. It's fascinating to me. Uh, but they had an episode on death. And 
And in the end result, they were walking through all of these experiences or all these different gurus who are talking about what is going to happen after we die. What, like, is there a hope for a resurrection? Because that has always been the human hope throughout history is are we going to resurrect from the dead? We need to defeat death. That's our, that's our common enemy. We need to be free from death. And so they walk through all of these, these different ideas of, of reincarnation or in a resurrection or on all these things of, of, or this uh, science-based things of like you, know, you get frozen in a tank and maybe one day science can bring you back to life. And, but in the end, they, they come to the end of death is a finality. And they somehow say there can be good in that. And here's what they get at is they say, if you are given infinite time, eventually everything becomes meaningless. And so they were, they were in theory talking with a Beethoven who's been, who's been uh, alive for all of eternity. And they talk to him and they say, how did you write all of your, your songs? And he said, when given eternal time, how could I not have written them? If you're given infinite time, eventually everything that can be done will be done and nothing's of any significance. Secondly, there was a show called The Good Place. And if you're into it, if you're still watching it, I want you to close your ears real quick because I'm giving a spoiler here, okay? So if you, I'm giving you three seconds to figure out how to not listen to this. One, two, three. Okay, so in the show called The Good Place, it's about uh, heaven and hell and these people who are trying to get from the bad place to the good place, and they finally reach the good place. They finally get there, and they experience it and all that it can offer. And what it is for them is the opportunity of unlimited freedom. They can get anywhere they want in the world at any time. They can get any experience they want at any time. And they can get anything they want at any time. But over time, they realize that there's only so many times you can go to France. Or only so many times you can drive a cool truck. Or only so many times you can get these cool things or cool experiences until they all become meaningless. Why? Because in both of these ideas, both the one from Hidden Brain and the one from The Good Place, is both of those revolve around you. Both of those revolve around us and what we could fill our time with for all of eternity. And what we come to the realization of is this, is that if everything is all about me for all of eternity, then life is meaningless and things are going to get pretty boring. And so how The Good Place ends is eventually there's a door. And when you want to leave, you walk through the door, and you cease to exist. And at some point, for every single person who enters the good place, they choose to cease to exist because life in the good place is meaningless. Now, when we're thinking about heaven with our God, when we think about a resurrection, a party awaiting us, all of a sudden, this transforms how we view the future, how we view all of eternity, because if you are given a God who's infinitely beautiful, who's infinitely powerful, who's infinitely satisfying, when you can experience him in all of his fullness, then for all of eternity, you can never reach the end of your praise of that God. You can never reach the end of your satisfaction with that God. So perhaps, maybe we, when we get to heaven, we experience that young nature of God, of being able to see him in, in 
religious monotony over and over again to where we will never grow tired of looking at him and of praising him because he is the most, he is, he is the most beautiful, he is the most worthy being in all of creation. And so all of heaven will be our great joy because heaven is not about you. Because heaven is about him. And that day, going to see that God in all of his glory is what we look forward to in the Lord's Supper. When we say, yes, we are looking back on Jesus' sacrifice with us, and his sacrifice is what gave us a relationship with that God, and that God has put his spirit within us as a down payment, but one day we're going to be with him physically, parting with him physically, and that is what the Lord's Supper is looking forward to. And so now, let's get ready to take it together. And so I wanted to give you a second to get your, your elements, get, your gear, get geared up. And so if you want to use a tortilla, go get it. If you want to use water or tea, go for it. If you don't have grape juice or whatever. And so this is an opportunity for you to go grab it really quickly. And as we take it, we are going to remember we're going to look back at God's word and how it tells us for all of eternity, we will forever see and savor the inexhaustible greatness of our God through young eyes. That's what we're celebrating together. So now, we're going to take it together. And so Jesus said this at the Last Supper, at the Lord's Supper. He said this in verse 22. As they were eating, he took the bread, he blessed and broke it. And he gave it to them, and he said, take it, this is my body. And they ate it. And then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. So, Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your plan, your ultimate plan from the beginning to bring Jesus to come and be our sacrifice, to come and be our Passover lamb that's going to, that's going to allow us to have a relationship with you, to free us from death and give us a true relationship with you, and for you to give us a spirit as a down payment of this salvation awaiting us, for we can look forward to a day when we'll experience this feast forever with you in heaven, for we can praise your inexhaustible glory forever. And so we thank you for this. We thank you for these elements, God, to remind us of these things, even in the time, these times that are difficult, that are hard, 
that are trials for us, God, I pray that you would, lead, you would teach us that these things are joy for us because they're teaching us, they're reminding us that this world's not our home, but our home is with you. And so I pray for perseverance for us. And I pray for celebration, for joy in taking these things. And so we love you. And help us during this time to continue to turn to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so if you've never met Jesus, you can. If you've never experienced this, if you've never had that first time when you looked back at the cross and said, yes, I want that. I want to follow him. Then you can. And so even though we're not here personally or in, like, or in person, you can still reach out to him. And so here's what you do is you say, Jesus, I've never had that experience. I've never known what you've done for me. I've never had this experience of being set free from, from my past, of experiencing forgiveness from God, or, or, or having this ex- relationship with God, or being given the Spirit as a down payment. I don't have that, but I want it. Here's what you do. Jesus said this, die to yourself and follow him. If you believe in Jesus and you commit your life to following him, he said that's the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so you say, you cry out to him and say, God, I want forgiveness. Jesus, I want to follow you with my life. And then you put feet to it and you begin following him. Because that's what true commitment looks like. And so that's what you can do. And so if you, if you, if you want to make that commitment, write on a comment if you're on Facebook or or if you're on the, on the website, go to the contact us and send one of us an email and, uh, and let us know. And so we'd love to get in touch with you and help you walk through this process of, of becoming a follower of Jesus.